Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. We're back. I'm really excited to have uh, my next guest that some people might not know too much about this company, and it is a very large company here in Oregon. So excited to have Jake Weatherly, the CEO and co-founder of Sheer ID. Hey, Jake. Hey, how you doing, Dan? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. I'm really uh, you know, excited to get into the story. And I know you've been, the company's been around a little bit, but um, there's been some big development. So you know, a place that's always great to start is, you know, tell us a little bit about just the origin story of the company. Sure, sure. So, you know, my career in technology started uh, way back in 1996. And uh, I'm a huge, huge fan and believer and just passionate about customer experience, support, service, like really helping people, right? Not just customers in terms of big businesses, but but individuals. Mm. And so as I developed my career in support and service and then sales for a little while, and then basically head of customer experience, what I found was there was this kind of dusty corner um, that hadn't been addressed well with technology, internet connectivity, et cetera. Mm. And that was quite simply like the application process and eligibility verification as it relates to applying for something or uh, trying to get into something. Right. And specifically what I found, my wife uh, was a third grade teacher at the time. My father-in-law is a military veteran and I was running programs that were very specific to the academic audience where software was being adopted by professors and students at universities and colleges. And in each of those contexts, what I found was there were these really great programs and really great offers that were specifically designed for these target audiences or consumer tribes. But the problem was the last mile. The problem mm. was actually the customer experience. Mm. So some of these programs were go find a fax machine or a scanner and send us qualifying documentation. Right. Like yeah. operators are standing by, we'll get yeah. back to you within like three to five days. Yeah. Others were in store only, uh, bring your ID or your documentation in order to onboard into this program or like get the discount at the cash register. Mm -hmm. um, and others were basically super loose, right? Like use a .edu, which right. most people get to keep long after they're enrolled as a student, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And so what we found is there was a lot of fraud and there was a lot of friction. 
in some of the programs, especially because of really sensitive documents, like my wife was asked for a pay stub one time mm. at a cash register in mm. order to get a teacher discount, mm. like, uh, yeah. or my father-in-law was asked for his, what's called form DD-214. Oh yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like, that, that's not something you just have in your wallet. You don't just have oh, yeah, your, right. your discharge form in your wallet. Oh, yeah, exactly. yeah. Plus like full social security number, blood yeah. type, everywhere yeah. you were stationed, et cetera. And so we just found that this whole, this whole area was broken. Um, what I believed and my co-founders believed is that there is data. In fact, in a lot of these cases, there is an individual record in a database somewhere hmm. that is the authoritative answer to these verification questions. Hmm. And so we started in 2011 uh, after we incorporated and it was just you know three co-founders working on solving the problem and analyzing and researching. I'm talking to the registrars at universities in the Pacific Northwest and California in order to understand if there was a platform that could ask your enrollment database, is this person really an enrolled student? Would you connect to that platform in order to help deliver value to your enrolled students? And you know, it was interesting as they all said, yes. Right. And we were like, why? Is this like a financial thing that we're kind of flirting with or, and you know what they all said, it's just the right thing to do. Hmm. You know, we don't think that a sophomore should send her class schedule to a customer service rep in order to get a discount on music streaming. Yeah. Right. I don't think mom and dad want that class schedule floating around that says like on Thursday at 1 PM, she's in this room. Yeah. And military folks don't want to send around their DD-214. So basically, we started working on the data side first, while finding that there were a lot of programs once we had the data that we could reinvent with a focus on quality customer experience and keeping the fraudsters out. So you said a couple of things that were pretty interesting. I mean, you use the term consumer tribes. Yeah. And so it sounds like that's been kind of an ethos since the beginning of the company of, of serving these different tribes, right? And you started Indeed. with students. So in, in 2011, I mean, it, it doesn't seem that long ago, but at the same time, it seems like four lifetimes ago, of totally. like where the internet was and things. So, um, I mean, you were pretty early into this, like, I, I don't know what you call identity marketing, or I don't know what you would call it, uh, the yep. term, but so, I mean, it was pretty early days. So it sounds like people were saying yes, like universities, but on the back end, um, when you try to integrate did it was a pretty smooth process or did you, um, just in the early days? How was it? Oh, I mean, like all over the board, like, yeah. like we would work with organizations who said, is it okay if we send you a CSV on a monthly basis right? and you ingest and do like incremental change management on the records? Yeah. We had others and I'm not going to name names uh -huh. um, who in the uh, state and federal government context said, if we ship you, a DVD on a quarterly basis that contains all the data. It, would that work? Is that a way that we could, you know, be able to help you verify these individuals and their statuses? And we were like, that doesn't sound very secure. No. Yeah. yeah so a huge variety. And this was, you know, I think still, I'm not going to say early, but I would say kind of middle of the rise of the API economy. Right. So yeah, we would yeah. work with some institutions that like, didn't know the acronym API. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we literally worked with some small private colleges um, who like 
didn't have databases, mm. right? They had like filing cabinets. Yeah, that's wild. And so, yeah, I think what was hard in the early days was our belief that is just the whole core of the whole thing, which is the power of invited personalization, mm. right? We believe, and this really comes down to like family, friends, and then focus groups that, you know, it's very, very uncommon to talk to somebody who doesn't say, this is the way I think the world should work. I should be able to raise my hand and say, brand, I want you to know this about me. Mm -hmm. And I want you to check because I'm excited about what's on the other side. Free software, half off on music streaming, discounts on clothing and apparel and shoes. You know, the list goes on and on, opening a bank account, et cetera. And so, you know, with that belief and I think 2016, 2017, there was a lot of validation around the creepiness of mm. digital surveillance, yeah, right? And rise of GDPR mm. versus like knowing what you're getting into and volunteering that and actually wanting that data to flow, but then also the ability to take it back. Yeah. So around that time, after a series of meetings in like 2014, 2015, even 2016, where like, I'm in a room at, you know, a Bay Area headquarters with a bunch of strategic minds and leaders. Right. And like 15 minutes into talking about the power of invited personalization and the creepiness of being followed in a digital world, like I would look around and realize like, oh my God, I think I'm the crazy guy in the room. I mean, obviously we're at an inflection point right now with what Apple's doing, what Google's announced here very recently. But it's also for your business with the pandemic, we're fully embracing the membership slash subscription economy, right? Really? So this has got to be an interesting time for your business. You could probably, we can get into like, what are your strategic kind of buckets you focus on, but you could probably go everywhere, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah think about it this way, Dan. So we're looked at by our customers and I think rightfully so as a well, fill in the blank, customer, subscriber, account, patron, fan, whatever word you want to use for customer, right? Mm -hmm. Customer acquisition machine, mm. right? And, and the beauty is if you roll out loudly and proudly a program that says, thank you for your service, thank you for keeping us healthy, Thank you for the role that you play in our community as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, you know, it's basically recognize and honor in order to invite. And if you do that authentically, it just, it really grows. It's yeah. like plugging the, the song into an amplifier and yeah. suddenly you have the entire military community, like 35 million people in the U.S., who's choosing to shop at your store and spend time on your website versus the competitor. Yeah. And we see that in everywhere from wireless service to home improvement mm -hmm. to digital music and streaming video mm -hmm. to banking. I mean, the list goes on and on. So you're right. I think we're very much like horizontal as it relates to industries, but we're also really vertically aligned as it relates to a CFO and CIO who say, we can't take on the risk of personally identifiable information. 
and we can't take on the risk of fraud and being gamed because we'll wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly like everybody's a student, right? And then CMO who needs to acquire new customers, keep them, get them super excited, retain them, and then spark that word of mouth and virality. Yeah. I mean, I guess I laugh a little bit because uh, I'm still, I'm getting a deal through a, a unnamed media company and I've long passed my student day. So they're Whoa. not using, not using you, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we talk to a lot of people who are still on the cell phone plan based on their employment from two companies ago, or like, you know, pre-pandemic, they would go to a you know, hotel and yeah, like yeah. do the wink and nod, like I'd like the GE rate, please, <laughs> right? And this happens all the time. And what's interesting oh, yeah. about it is it feels, I think, from the individual's perspective, like maybe a little white lie, mm-hmm. or it's really easy to rationalize. Like they're not asking me if I'm an enrolled student, they're asking me for a .edu email address. Which is legit, right? I still right. got one. Um, right. Yeah, obviously from a friction standpoint as a consumer, like if it was just something that verified it, we'd I'm all for it, obviously. Yeah. Right? So, um, well, let's get into the business a little bit. Sure. Um, for people that don't know where you're at in the life cycle, you, you, you've raised funding and I think, Correct. I think it's public. I think it's around hundred million or. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. yeah, and that's public. Sure. Which for where we live here in Portland or here in Oregon is a big haul. So yeah. tell, tell me about just um, that part of it, but also just, sure. you know, the life cycle of the business where you're at too. Totally. So not easy. Um, you know, our roots are in Eugene, Oregon. And when we started with no customers and no data partnerships, yeah. uh, we were fortunate enough to, um, engage with an individual who was one of the first checks to Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight to start Nike. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> he fell in love with the vision and fell in love with the opportunity to mentor, I mean, what I would call like kind of his last class of co-founders and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. We were his 62nd new venture. Wow. He's since passed. Mm-hmm. So we worked with, with him as the lead in a, in a small group of angels in Eugene uh, for our first four years to okay. build this thing. And we did it in a um, way that's somewhat different than a lot of people do like pre-seed and seed rounds. <clears throat> this a little bit technical, but um, all common stock okay. and no no board seats. Mm. But every Monday for two hours, my co-founder David and I would meet with him for like two on a regular basis. Okay, so essentially, so like an amazing, amazing mentor who had like been around the block and was there to teach yeah. and support. Um, so from there, our thesis has always been the time to go out and seek institutional investment really has to be connected to the fact that you actually have a real business. There are a lot of people who go out and they'll start raising from institutionals um, pre-product market fit. And I think that can be, it can be unnecessarily challenging because really what you're doing is you're saying, I want sophisticated investors and like real board culture and governance when really what I'm in is an experimental phase. Right. And I think that can invite like meddlers and real handsy board members. And and that's not what we wanted, right? We, we had a very clear vision. It was working and it was time with, I think we had like 30 customers. We had crossed a million in recurring revenue. It was time to actually get more sophisticated, invite a little bit more process repeatability, predictability, et cetera. 
And so, so we went out and we, we raised our series a, which was led by Voyager capital in Seattle. Um, the other thing that I would say about that is in the early days, it was somewhat challenging to be Eugene and then Eugene in Portland, and then in general, an Oregon company, um, as it relates to even just getting looks and interest from institutional investors. Yeah. And so I think we were really, really um, flattered to have the opportunity to work with Voyager, but it wasn't like sudden. The other thing that I would say, and, and I guess like unsolicited advice or guidance, like that relationship came from the very, very beginning. And what we found not to sound like really corny, but if you ask for money, you get a ton of advice. Right. But when you ask for advice, you know, we saw time and time again, checkbooks open. Hmm. So we just, we, we constantly sort of like asked for a little bit of time to talk about strategic direction and questions and challenges we were facing. And by the time we were ready, we were basically pitching what we had set out to do from the very beginning. There wasn't like this big pivot. There wasn't like this thing that we tried that then we shut down and then started something different. It was like, this is consistent with the original vision. Now it's working. It's a real business with gross margins and customers and predictable revenues and partners. And we're ready to, to grow. And that, I mean, that discipline, and it's really good advice to founders, but I also, you know, that discipline had, had probably was a little tough too, right? Because oh, you're kind of like, yeah. I want to take the money. Like we want to grow. Yeah, more than right. tough, it's like, actually, it's a little bit scary, yeah. right? When you, and, and one of the things that we talk about a lot at ID is um, mini celebrations are okay, right? Based on a sense of accomplishment or like kind of getting to the next step, but don't celebrate early. Right. Yeah. Just because you had a really great call with like the dream perspective customer mm-hmm. and it went well and it went over time and, oh my gosh, they had all these great questions. And I really think the light bulb went off and all that stuff. That's not time to like send the all company announcement and high five and like, you know, pop bottles of champagne. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it's totally fair to, you know, have that little mini celebration. Like, wow, this is a really great call. And now they're on the board and they're engaged. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love the mini celebration, uh, you know, theme. That's we can you all use more of that in our life yeah. right now, right? Right, especially um, right now. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's a good jumping-off point. Is and again, you have an office up here, but you are still in Eugene. Yep. Right. So talk about that decision to to do that. Not, yeah, sure. you know, sure. I I went to U of O. I love Eugene. Awesome. It's smaller though, and it oh, is yeah. totally, we're hundred miles, 110 miles apart, but it's totally yeah. different world. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, tell, tell us and about sometimes, that. You know, I, I felt a little bit insulted, but I had to be grounded in reality when we were talking to like really sophisticated, either potential investors or like even partners or customers, mm. like we literally would hear like, but aren't you like in this like little backwater town? I was yeah. like, oh, ah. <laughs> Right? Like, have you ever heard of the docks? Like this yeah. is where Nike started. Like that only goes so far. Right. right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think what's, I made like very, very purposeful decisions as it relates to like work-life balance and, uh, you know, being a father and a husband and a community member and, and Oregon alum and all of these kinds of things. Um, and the reason why I stayed in Eugene is I'm the like super smart guy who decided to quit my jobs and start a technology startup 
three months after I had identical twin boys with a two and a half year old at home already. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So this, you know, this, this is our community. We're very, very purposeful about how we want to raise our children. Uh, we live out in the country, mm. you know, now that they're a little bit older, like, you know, I've taught them how to like split wood with an ax and like, you know, plant a garden bed. Yeah. You know, I think that that like grit and kind of good old fashioned hard work is so important. Yeah. Um, and also when you have little kids, it's also really convenient to have them like kind of being worn out by playing outside every day and that kind of stuff. I got a five and two year old. So I, I yeah, get it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, I, I love that. And I grew up in Southern Oregon and, you know, one of the things I always preach about is I'm so excited for not only Eugene, but, you know, Southern Oregon to really boom. Totally. Yeah. Central Oregon, some, obviously. Yeah. Yep, I have some friends down in the Roseburg area and then Medford and Ashland where it's actually really clear. It's not hitting the radar quite yet, but it's really clear that there's, there's like a tech hub bubbling, right? Because I think it's rare to find, especially with kind of the dream of tech and the low like CapEx and an operational cost to even like get started, right? Yeah. Like we're not buying like raw aluminum and CNC machines and right. shipping heavy parts all around the world, mm -hmm. right? And we don't even have to in this day and age like open a data center or like yeah. buy equipment in a lot of cases, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what I love is like, I really truly believe that like kind of part of the culture um, in America, and I would even argue globally, is this like inventor and innovator and like idea. Like it's very rare to talk to somebody who doesn't say like, oh my gosh, like I've had this idea for 10 years. And like, I think it is like the thing that everybody needs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then more and more, you know, with companies like um, Shopify going public out of where like Manitoba, Canada, yeah. and, you know, you see stuff popping out of like Nebraska and that kind of stuff. Like, I think geography is a lot less important these days, mm -hmm. but I do think that there's this residue, right? And the residue um, in, in history is also super important, right? Like top universities and programs and concentration of investment dollars yeah. and even just talent pools, right. And networks. Mm -hmm. um, there are places where it's maybe easier to go faster. Yeah. Um, and that's the reality of the situation. But you know, what I'll say is, you know, so far so good. And we're super proud to be Oregon based. And yeah, we're 110 miles between Portland and Eugene, but like pre pandemic, I was like, three days, sometimes all week in Portland, where the majority of our, our team members are now. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I would go up, spend the day, come back down, have dinner with my kids, put them to bed, jump in the car and head back up the next morning. Right. Yeah. You gotta, gotta be in it to win it at some point. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. another great nugget of advice. So, well, you know, as we get a little bit more time here, um, during this whole pandemic, and I've been asking every leader is this is obviously your team's been number one, and it's been disruptive for a lot of reasons. But how have you been as a CEO leading a pretty big company? Yeah. Um, how has this been for you? Sure, sure. So I just thrive on time with team members, time with customers, time with partners, time with prospects, right. And I think what I've learned in this 
I'm able to draw a little bit from my old unified communications days and, and WebEx days, wherein you can get really far video conferencing and having telephone calls and those kinds of things. Um, but still, I think the real magic happens when you have time together in person yeah. and you can like, you know, ad hoc as you're walking by um, brainstorm and, and give direction or, or, you know, get answers to questions or ask questions. So I do think that there are some things that everybody or most people are really excited to like get back when we can be in offices together and we can go and visit other people in their respective communities and those kinds of things. But I also think like for me personally, um, the headline that I've kind of developed over these last, what, like 15 months or year, whatever it is, is I think the very best thing that we can do as it relates to our careers and, and our work, I think we should work where we work best, mm. right? And maybe on Tuesday, that's at home. And maybe on Wednesday morning, on a nice day, it's sitting outside at a coffee shop, right? And maybe Thursday is the team meeting and that's in person. So I really think that what we've been, and I tend to be like, where's the silver lining kind of guy. Too. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really think that like we have with, you know, forcing functions, you know, discovered that in person has its place mm -hmm. and is important and is helpful for like the enthusiasm and the energy and, and speed and agility. Um, but it's also really nice to be like heads down and working on something without a ton of distractions. Yeah. So I'll say this, like, personally, it's been like absolutely magical to be like in the room next to my 12 year old. We're both on Zoom and I'm hearing him like, you know, do his Mandarin Chinese class. over <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's also it can also be a little bit distracting. But, you know, like any good young family, uh, we decided to like go all in. We got two little puppies uh, like wow. six months ago. Um, you know, we, we do our, our uh, family movie night and we cook together a lot more now. And so some of the things that I think we're like, oh, I'll get to that kinds of yeah. thing yeah. are like happening all the time. And it just feels really good. But, yeah. but, you know, despite the silver lining, it's hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I, I'm totally you know, agree with everything you said about like work where we work best. And, you know, I'm kind of curious to see if this is really going to be sustained, like when things do go back more. Yep. So are, is that really going to be true? Like, okay, yeah. we are going to, or some companies just going to go work, pile right back on, you know, who knows? I'm not saying anybody has a crystal ball, but um, I'm just, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the thing that is, hard for me is we built out a new office in Portland okay. in the Wells Fargo center. Okay. Like beautiful, like 21st floor, amazing views, like super, super specifically designed with like cool conference room names and, you know, sheer ID theme everywhere and all yeah. those kinds of things. And it's like, as far as I can tell, based on everything that I've seen, literally the coolest office that I've never been to. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm super excited to get back to the office, but at the same time, you know, I don't think that we're going to be the kind of company who, you know, breaks 
through with, you know, like controversial decisions against, you know, healthcare providers and experts and policymakers and, and our respective leaders. I think that we need to be super, super respectful of what's safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't think that we're going to be the kind of company who says, okay, now this is over. It's time for everybody to, you know, punch the clock in the office every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot. I mean, everybody's going through the same thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and no one, and no one has an exact answer. I, I would be um, suspicious if they did. So this yeah, is what it's going to be, right? So, so um, well, it's a good place kind of end just to talk about, you know, I love to talk about Portland and maybe for this conversation a little bit about Oregon, the future of just what business is going to be here. You know, yeah. I'm, I grew up here, so I'm, you know, I'm optimistic still. We, we, we've had our challenges. We're a mid-market city. Uh, and, you know, obviously um, outside of Portland, there's, Eugene, you know, maybe Ben and, you know, yeah. Mefford. So what's your thoughts just about the growth of our state and economy? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, I, I like to look through the lens of um, all the great work that Skip Newberry and the TAO yeah. is doing and has done. Um, I get like little peeks uh, into like early stage startups because, you know, folks want some time, advice, mm-hmm. uh, and peeks into our respective institutional investors, portfolio companies, and deal flow. My take is the future is like bright, like to the point like where you're going to have to put on sunglasses. Like mm. it is happening so fast and it's not super obvious, right? And I would even add, because we're not in our neighborhood coffee shops and, you know, out for business dinners and those kinds of things, you don't even get the like, you know, the table next to us is like pitching for their series yes. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but I'm telling true. you, it's, it's happening all over the place. Mm. And I think an accelerator is what I was talking about earlier, where the assumptions of like the geolo- geographical or location overlay in a lot of cases have come out altogether. Right. Or at least those assumptions are like being reduced in terms of focus. Yeah. Because there are really talented and smart people everywhere, right? And there's great leadership in Oregon, excellent leadership with like seriously like been around the block kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And I think we're coming together really well as a community. And I think that that uh, we can continue to do great. And just as we wrap up here, are you investing now? Uh, you know, I guess I'm a little bit opportunistic. What I do like to do is invest my time when I have it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that that's a key. And, you know, I look forward to a great outcome at Sheer ID someday where we can basically like mint the next cohort of angel investors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also like have teams, you know, post Sheer ID who do the next thing. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's, that's that... huge, it's a huge part of the catalyst for the whole thing. I love it's that. that early, early money and not feeling like you have to like, get on stage with a Madonna microphone and yeah, like work with really smart and experienced people and, and uh, get it done. Well, Jake, thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Dan. It's really, really great to spend time together. I appreciate the opportunity. The PDX executive podcast is a production of that cast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.